So uh, it's, uh, it feels to me like it's been a pretty crazy last six weeks. And uh, there's just a lot of things going on, and most of it doesn't seem to be the kind of stuff we would want to have going on. Now, there, there are good things happening, and I always, want to, uh, I always want to remind us of that. Over the last 20 years, we have seen dramatic uh, extension of life expectancy around the world. We're seeing pollution everywhere come down dramatically. We are, uh, we are seeing uh, extreme poverty be eradicated. There's a lot of good things that are happening out there. And I always want us to be reminded of that and, and uh, to celebrate that. But at the same time, it's been, uh, it's been a couple months of uh, you know, extreme weather in Florida and in, and in Houston. Earthquake in Mexico. There's been the biggest cybersecurity breach in the country that we've ever had. There's, there's now uh, uh, more noise in uh, in North Korea, where Kim Jong Il seems determined to provoke some sort of something. And and we've got a terrorist attack in London. We've got racial unrest that continues in this country now uh, in in St. Louis over the weekend. And so there's just. There's just a whole lot of things at the, at the national and international level that should cause us uh, grief, and it, and it can feel overwhelming. And then uh, if we look under that, we've got challenges at the state level and at the local level, and even if we just decide we're not going to read the papers, we're not going to pay attention to all that stuff, at least in my world, I know that in our neighborhood, there's a, there's a couple that is struggling with their marriage, and there's, there's, uh, there's a kid uh, a couple blocks over, who's been depressed and keeps threatening suicide, and then you know Mark just lost his job, and and Janet has breast cancer, and it can feel overwhelming. How many things are not going the way we would want them to go? And as a decent person, to say nothing of as a Christ follower, we can't walk away from these things. Right? We need to be involved. We need to, we need to help people in need. We need to love others. We need to be out there serving people who are struggling. And yet there are times, maybe not for you, but there are times when I simply hit tilt. And I say, I can't, I can't do this. Right? I, can't, I, can't, I can't process any more pain and frustration. So I remember the first time that I hit tilt for other people's needs, right? As a, as a kid, you occasionally hit tilt for all manner of, of your own issues. But this is the first time I sort of hit tilt uh, for other people. And it was, I was a year into my first ministry assignment. So I graduated from Trinity in 85. I'm now a college pastor. I'm out on the West, West Coast. And we are, uh, I'm nine months into the first gig. And uh, and I just have one of these weeks where everything's going wrong and people are wigging out and they're not showing up and I'm, I'm just frustrated and, I'm, and the lines of people who, who want to meet and the people who are in, in crisis and it's just, and I, I'm just like, you know what? <laughs> this isn't what I signed up for. I'm not sure what I signed up for, but I didn't sign up for this. And it was, a, you know, sort of a, a career crisis here, like, huh, so what am I doing wrong or how are we going to change this? And I remember going to a staff meeting, and the senior pastor said, uh, Mike, how you doing? And I said, well, I think the answer I'm supposed to give at this moment is fine, so I'll say I'm fine. And he said, well, what is the answer that would be more true than that? I said, yeah, I don't care. 
Uh, just really don't care. There's just problems everywhere I look. I've been at this for nine months, and it seems like it's not getting any better. And he sort of made a little joke and said, oh, wow, like you've been working on the world's problems for nine months, and they're still not fixed. Who knew? Maybe it'll take 10 months. And, you know, and, and, uh, and then he said, are you, you're, you're discouraged. I sense you're pretty discouraged. I said, I am. You know, I said, you, you help people and more people who need help show up because they hear that you're helping people. And I said, the lines get longer and I, I just, we're not making any progress. And I'm, I'm frustrated that other people aren't showing up more often. And I said, yeah, it's just very hard. I said, so what am I, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to process this? Because what I really want to do is nothing. And he said, well, you know, uh, I've been there before. And he says, when I'm there, I remind myself of a couple things. And it was a longer conversation. But one of the points that he made is, look, remember, God wins, right? God knows that this world is broken. That's why he showed up. And, and his kingdom will come. That's what we pray for. That's what we work for. And we have been promised that he's going to make this right. So don't forget that you're on the winning team. He said, secondly, he says, I remind myself, when I'm discouraged like this, he says, I remind myself of Galatians 6, 9. And he says, I just go back and I look at it. So I grabbed a Bible and I, I opened it to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and I read, um, Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Do not grow discouraged by doing good. Do not give up doing good, right? Do not stop doing good. For if we persevere, right, we will be rewarded in the end. So I want us to think about this a little bit. Because I don't want you to be discouraged leaving here. I want you to actually be very encouraged. And um, I think that there is a way forward, even when a, a broken world threatens to overwhelm us. So this is the third week in this series called Discovering Life with God. And we started by, I argued that you were made by God. You were made for God. The life you're looking for comes with more God. We need to lean in. It comes in a relationship with him. That's what you were wired for. That's how this comes together. And then talked more about how Jesus Christ is God's provision for this, right? He is God's son. He is eternal. He came down lived, loved, taught, modeled, served, eventually died for us. And he is our reconciler. He is the redemption. He is, he is the conduit for us to be uh, in a relationship with God that is, on the one hand, the discovery of a lifetime, but it's also a lifetime of discovery. So last week, uh, we started with the first of the three points. We're trying to, I mean, a, a relationship with God and going deep with God is a big conversation. It's not something we can cover in in uh, four sermons, but he said, let's make this as simple and short as we can. And so I said, love God. We talked about that last week, about if we focus on God, God is so good, gracious, loving, holy. The more we focus on God, the more we get pulled into uh, an orbit with God, the more we, more we realize how good he is. So focus on God, love God, serve others, reach one. I want us to think about serving others today. So let me just start with a couple sort of uh, shots across the bow. When I, when I talk about serving others, I approach this from the perspective that unless there's a reason to say no, if somebody asks for our help or if we see somebody that needs help, we should help. 
Right? We should serve others. Now, I want to acknowledge that it's a little bit more complicated than that. When we turn to the Bible, uh, we see, for instance, that there are times when we are going to have to swim upstream, and, and if there's an ongoing crisis, we're going to have to go upstream and try and figure out how to stop this. We're going to have to think of some systems approaches. And evangelicals are not often as good at that as we should be. But sometimes we've got we, we to avoid the initial pain we see in order to try and make it better. Secondly, I want to acknowledge that, um, that there are people who are trying to just sort of ride the system. And so in 2 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. Those, those that are just trying, to, just, just trying to get a free lunch and they're not willing to step up, at some point you have more difficult and complicated conversations with them about what kind of help they really need. Third, there, there is sort of a, a triage order that we're given about who we should focus our attention on. First of all is our family. So Jesus says that uh, if we don't help our family, we're worse than the infidels. And then, then there's the poor. So we, we see widows and orphans and aliens being singled out in the Old and New Testament as people we've got to be particularly mindful of the, the, the cares and concerns that they have. But when we think about serving others... Right? It's just sort of, we serve others. So we serve where we see needs or where we're asked for our help. Secondly, uh, I, I want to acknowledge that um, some of you are doing great stuff when it comes to serving. I do not want you to think that I think otherwise. Some of you are doing all kinds of stuff. You're an encouragement. I, I am encouraged that I get to be uh, a partner with lots of people at Christ Church, walking through life where people take seriously the needs of others and you're involved in so many different ways. So there's an encouragement uh, that I want to share. The third thing that I want to say is, is that you need to be on guard because I have an agenda for your life. And uh, God loves you. Everyone else has a plan for your life. I'm one of the everyone else's, and so I just want you to know. I have no problem motivating you, challenging you, pushing you. I never want to manipulate you. So I don't want to uh, do this without you knowing that I'm coming right at you. Uh, I got no problems pushing you in ways that I think are good for you. I think everybody wins when you serve, starting with you. Uh, I think that, uh, that, that I need to get you out of the pew and into the game because that's my job. So I, I don't know what you think the job of a pastor is, and my job description you know, that I have with, with the leadership of the church is a little different than this, but the job description I find in Ephesians chapter 4 says that some are, pa- are apostles and some are prophets and some are evangelists and some are pastor-teachers, And then it says the pastor teachers are to equip the saints for works of service. So I'm a pastor teacher, you're a saint. Your life may be a mess, but if you know Christ, you're a saint. Okay, That's that's how Paul refers to people in the New Testament. Those that are following Christ, he refers to saint. He knows that he who began a good work and you will complete it. You will be a saint. He's giving credit. Uh, he's painted ahead, and so you're a saint. So my job as a pastor teacher is to equip the saints for works of service. My job is to get you to do your job. So uh, it's without apology that I'm trying to get you to serve. I'm trying to get you to serve. Quite honestly, I don't care where you do it. Now, I, have, I do have a, a dog in this fight. Um, 
So uh, it takes lots of people to run the church, right? We need ushers and greeters and we need uh, worship leaders and we need Sunday school teachers and small group leaders and we need people to run programs and call, make phone calls and change diapers. I mean, there's all kinds of things that need to happen for this organization to go forward. And so we got lots and lots, hundreds and hundreds of internal uh, assignments that we would uh, love for people to step into. Additionally, we want to be a church that is, that is fueling a movement that is reaching people with the good news about Christ and that is renewing communities, right? that is seeing life get better for people, that is attending to the needs of the poor and the broken and, and the struggling. So there's all kinds of things that we, we have started or that we partner with, right? I mean, there's a, there's a justice center that, that is dispensing legal advice. We've got a Matthew Homes where we're building homes for for. for poor people in North, or for people who are going to have a missional assignment but who are struggling in North Chicago. We've got a hogs ministry that goes around to help single moms and shut-ins with, with practical needs. There's a, there's a changing closet that's got closed distribution in, in uh, Waukegan. There's, I mean, there's programs that go in all kinds of different directions. You can tutor in the public schools through North Chicago Community Partners. There's reading power. There's, there's all kinds of things. And today... Uh, in the lobbies of all the campuses, we have people from those organizations that we're partnering with. And so we want you to, to look around and say, well, maybe this is the time. This would be an easy way for me to learn a little bit about how I might do X. I might work on, in the cars ministry. I'm good with cars. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can do that are looking outside the walls of the church. So I, I do have a dog in this fight, but it, it, with all sincerity, right, if you're serving in some other way, good, <laughs> good, keep doing it, keep serving. If you're not serving, you need to know that if you want a growing, dynamic, life-giving relationship with God, you're going to have to serve. And so I want to I wanna just sort of set that in front of you. There's at least 10 reasons why you have to serve. Number one. Because those to whom much is given, much is expected. And most of us in this room have been given much. So you have gifts, abilities, resources, a network, know-how, right? And those are all gifts from God. And so you, you've got to find ways to use those gifts to serve other people. Number two, because we have been served by God. So one of the most amazing passages in the New Testament is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Uh, it, is, um, it is some of the richest theology or Christology that we have anywhere. And the belief is that it was a hymn that was being uh, circulating in the early church that Paul took, you know, out of a worship service and put into one of his letters. And, and it says that Jesus Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Being made in the likeness of man uh, and becoming a bondservant. And not just a bondservant and a slave, but a slave that would go to his death. And not just death, but death on a cross. And it says, therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a, it's a statement that tells us that Jesus is different than you and I. Right? Our lives began at conception. 
Jesus was God before all of time. He has always been God. At the incarnation, he added uh, humanity to deity. It was a huge demotion. The creator became part of the creation. He became, he, he, he gives up the rights and privileges and honor and glory of heaven, and he became one of us to live and love and serve and teach. And he, not just, he didn't just show up as one of us as king. He showed up as one of us as a slave. And not just a slave, but a slave that would go to his death for other people, and not just death, but death on a cross. Nobody started higher. Nobody goes lower than Jesus Christ. And he did that for you. He served you and me in that way. No one has started higher, given up more, gone lower for anyone than Jesus Christ has done for you. But here's the kicker. That passage, that rich theological passage in Philippians 2 is not there to give us rich theological insights on Christ. It does, but it's there as an illustration for what we're supposed to do. This whole thing is set up by saying, have this attitude among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Serve like Jesus. Consider yourself a servant like Jesus. He started here, he went there for you. Therefore, go serve. We should never ever think, I'm too good for this. Right? I'm too good for this. Jesus was too good and he went lower than we would ever be expected to go and he did it for you and he did it for me. Why should you serve? Because you have been served by God. Number three, why should you serve? Because we were created to serve. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2.10 that uh, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are God's workmanship. We were created by God to do good works. Ephesians 2.10. You were created to serve. Work is not part of the fall. Work was happening before the fall. Work is, is part of what we were made for. And, and so you were created to serve. You were created to work. Number four, you were not just created to work. We are gifted to work. So in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and Ephesians 4 and a handful of other passages, there are discussions about the, the, the gifts that God gives to us. Supernatural giftings, insights, passions, skills, and competencies that we get wired with by God. And the, the teaching, and sometimes these passages get, get, become controversial because there's sign gifts and some gifts are more miraculous than others. Let's not miss the forest for the trees. The point here is, God has equipped you with certain gifts. Maybe they're leadership, maybe it's teaching, it's hospitality, it's giving, it's who knows what it is. There's all kinds of gifts listed in these passages, and I don't think these lists are, uh, are exclusive. There are gifts, abilities, insights, passions, skills that God gives to you, and those gifts from God to you are for other people, Right? So the gifts God has given to you are to be used for the benefit of other people. So you have been, by God, supernaturally equipped to do certain things. And you need to figure out what those gifts are and get in the game. Number five, 
When we serve, we honor God. You might even say we serve God. So Colossians 3.17 tells us that uh, whatever we do, we should do it for God. Whatever work we do, whether you're a mom and you're taking care of a little kid, whether you're a teacher, you're, you're, you're working as a trader, whatever we do, we have to understand that we always are doing our work for God. Everything about us is owned by God. We work for God. And so we should do our work as unto God, Colossians 3.17. But there's another way that this applies as well. So Matthew 25 is one of the, I think, the most um, depressing, frightening passages in the Bible. Um, so it's, it's sort of not, a, I don't think it's a parable, it's a bit of an analogy, but whatever. Jesus says in the end, there, uh, there will be the end of the world, and then God is going to separate people into sheep and goats. And he's going to say uh, to the sheep, um, you know, good job. Uh, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was poor, you took me in, right? And the, and the people there will say, when? I mean, when, when do we ever see you hungry and feed you? When do we ever see you thirsty and give you something? When do we ever, when do we ever do any of that? We didn't do any of that. And he said, whenever you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. And then this group, and this is why this passage is so scary, because this, this, the, these people here clearly thought they were in. And they say, Lord, Lord, what, what's going on here? And, and the reason it's, it, it, I think it's scary is because in the Greek and the Hebrew, they, they don't have adjectives of the same way we do. And so when you want to emphasize something, you repeat it. So occasionally you'll see Jesus saying something like, truly, truly, I say unto you, right? I mean, it's, it's just, this is, a this is a particularly profound, true point I'm trying to make. So when they're saying, Lord, Lord, they're repeating this idea that Jesus is my Lord, right? There's a, it's a term of of allegiance, it's a term of intimacy, and they're saying, Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Because he said to them, depart. When did we see you hungry and, and we didn't give you something to eat? When did we see you thirsty and we didn't give you something to drink? When did we see you poor and naked and we not clothe you and, and help you? And he says, when you didn't do it for the least of these, you didn't do it for me. So, you know, just stepping back for a second and calling a time out, I will say, you know, half the parables that we find, and I'm not sure this is a parable, but half of the parables that we find talk about uh, God's grace, God's mercy. Our, our salvation is completely contingent upon the work of Jesus Christ. Half of the parables that we find in the Bible basically say, get in the game, right? If you've been given something, you need to use it, right? Don't bury your talents and treasures, Right? Serve. Discipline yourself for holiness. So, there's, so I believe we are saved by grace through faith. Right? I'm not, we're not going to get in. We are saved by grace through faith. But this passage sort of stands alone to say, um, somehow, in some mystical way, caring for others is caring for Jesus. Why do we serve? Because we want to serve Jesus. Number six, when we serve, we grow. For many of you, the last thing you need is another Bible study. Uh, you, need to, you need to apply what you've heard, 
right? We're not suffering from a lack of insight, right? We're suffering from a lack of application. And so um, I would say to you, look, we serve in order to grow, and we grow in order to serve. Spiritual maturity is never an end in itself. Maturity is always for ministry. We serve in order to grow. We grow in order to serve more effectively other people. So we serve in order to grow. Number seven, why should you serve? Because this is the way to win. The way up in God's economy is down. The first are last. Jesus said, I didn't show up to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. You want to be great? Go to the end of the line. He's telling us, you want to get ahead? Go to the end of the line. Serve. The way up is down. When we're being told to serve, we are not being told to act against our own best interest. We are never told to act against our own best interest. We just always don't understand. We just often do not understand what's actually in our best interest. We think what's in our best interest is to be at the top of the, of the pyramid. When in actuality, God is saying, no, serve, love, give. Think of the needs of other people ahead of your own. Number eight, why serve? Because it actually makes life better for you. So I, I have uh, collected over the years some statements that people have made to me when I have said to them, I'm really encouraged by you and by the serving that I see you doing. Sometimes it's very public, sometimes it's not. Nobody knows, nobody sees the serving. But I'll see something, I'll say, I'm really encouraged. Why do you do that? Why do you serve? Right? And so um, I get all kinds of statements that are made. Uh, I'll just read a couple. Um, a journalist told me, investing in people's lives has paid far greater dividends than my 401k ever has. The rewards of serving have always exceeded the cost. A mom said, God fulfilling his purposes through me makes my life worth living. It's a privilege to be his earthly hands and feet. Uh, another woman said to me, I come with my cup of something to pour out in service. Having served, I realize my cup is now running over. What joy, what blessing, what a deal. CEO of a large publicly traded company said, why do my wife and I serve? It's the most fulfilling part of our life, worth more than anything the world of business has provided. And one young professional said, wrote me a note when I asked him, and he, he said a note, I, um, when I first moved to this area and started attending Christ Church, I knew no one. I was intensely lonely, spent my time at home, watching TV, feeling sorry for myself. I eventually realized it could continue this way or I could take steps to get involved. So I decided to volunteer and start serving. I served in the children's ministry, then I served in the worship teams, then I got involved leading a Bible study. These activities have become the most truly fulfilling and satisfying parts of my life. Through them I have developed close friends, built on my skills, and felt the joy of something eternally worthwhile. So some people will say, I serve because my parents modeled serving. Or I serve because you told me I needed to serve. Or I serve because... Uh, somebody recruited me, right? But what I consistently hear is those who are serving long-term, I serve in part because it brings me joy. This is one of the best things I get to do. 
I serve because it fills me up. Number nine, um, why serve? Because it keeps you real. I'm sure you've had this experience um, around here. It's not uncommon to hear people express great frustration over what I think we could agree would be first world problems, right? Uh, and it's, it's because there's lots of opportunities and lots of wealth and, you know, multiple cars or multiple homes or multiple whatever that people express frustration about how busy they are, they can't get this or they can't get that. And at some point you want to say to people, um, that's not really much of a problem. Like you need to meet some real problems. Like you need to be around some people who are wondering if they're going to be able to feed their kid. You need, to get, you need to get your hands dirty and be reminded of how hard it is in this broken world. Because it would be good for you. <laughs> and you wouldn't say these kinds of things and look like you're a little bit shallow. Finally, why serve? We serve because uh, it will be rewarded forever. So Jesus says, do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Right? You want to, you want to invest what you have, your life, your time, your gifts, your passions, your resources. You want to invest those in the best investment of all. And that means you are serving. So let me wrap it up by briefly commenting on the three excuses that I hear from people when I say you should serve. There's more reasons to serve, by the way. I, I could keep going, but let, we'll stop there. Let me just say, these are the excuses that I hear. The first one I don't hear very often, but I do hear it occasionally, and that is people who say, well, God doesn't need me. You're right. He doesn't. God will get done what God needs to get done. It's, it doesn't hinge on you. God's plans will be accomplished. And the, the great passage here is to go to the book of Esther where uh, Esther, the young woman who has become the queen, uh, and she's arisen up through the ranks in Persia, and uh, she's being mentored and cared for a little bit by her uncle, Mordecai, and then the, the king is sort of getting duped, and so he's issued this decree that all the Jews are going to be killed. He doesn't realize that Esther, his wife, is a Jew. And uh, so she's going to be safe because nobody knows that she's a Jew. But uh, Mordecai goes to her and says, you need to speak up on behalf of your people. And she says, um, nah, I don't think I'm going to do that. Too risky. Uh, might not work out. And he says to her, okay, time out. Don't be confused. Right? This isn't actually ultimately about the fate of the Jews. God has made promises. God will accomplish the salvation of the Jews, right? He will accomplish it another way. This is about you, right? Who knows but that you have risen to this position of prominence for just such a time as this. And basically, the point is, God will get done what God needs to get done. His plans will come to fruition. He will win. You can be certain of that. The question is, are you in the game or not? The question is, do you want to be part of this team? So God does not need us, doesn't need me, doesn't need you, doesn't need anything. That's, that's part of what 
being God is. He is perfectly perfect. He doesn't have needs. So his plans will come together, but we have an opportunity to be part of it. Excuse number two. I'm a mess. God can't use me because I'm a mess. Okay. Well, when, I, when people say I'm a mess, I say, right. Um, I, I knew that. Uh, because we're all a mess, right? The difference in the world is not between those that are a mess and those that aren't a mess. It's between those that are a mess and have come to realize they're a mess and those that are a mess and still think that they're not a mess. So the fact that you're a mess just means you got a little bit of clues to how this is really unfolding and uh, God uses messes. So I maintain that if there had been an HR department in the Old Testament, God would never have been able to push into service Moses, Noah, David, Solomon, uh, Peter, Paul. These people are liars. They are cheaters. They are sexual harassers. They have got pro- they are a lawsuit waiting to happen. Every one of them, you would not be allowed to hire them, right? They're all a mess. We're all a mess. So God can use messes. That's not an excuse. Third thing I hear from people is, I'm too busy. And there are times when I say, yes, this season of life, you are too busy. You have young kids. You have, you're caring for a, an aging parent. And you, you get, I look and I say, yes, you know what? You need to sit on the sidelines right now. And God bless you. And what you're doing is serving. <laughs> you're serving. You just, nobody, nobody's giving you credit for it. But yes, what you're doing is, is a full-time job. But most of the time I look on and I, I want to say, this is really not a good thing for you to say. You're too busy to serve other people. You're going to regret that. And I don't know what has to come out of your life, but you're going to regret that. So I met several times the guy who sort of orbits the church. Very, very successful. And he's always sort of... Um, called me up and said, let's get together, and we talk, and he says, Mike, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I want want to move forward with God, and just, it's just, it's just crazy, my, I'm a, I'm a slave to my job, and I got to do this, and I'm working 100 hours a week, and he's got a lot going on, very prominent, and the first couple times I met with him, I said, okay, well, let's meet, let's find some times to meet around the, the edges, and, and I'll see if I can help. The last time he called, I said, Look, we, okay, this is now lap three. So here's, I can't give you a pass. Here's what I got to tell you. You're saying you're a slave to this big job, okay? No, you're supposed to be a slave to Jesus. So if you're a slave to your job and the job doesn't allow you to serve Jesus, then you got to leave the job. I mean, I don't know how many millions you're going to leave on the table, but I just got to tell you this. If you're too busy to do the things that you were created to do and that God has called you to do, then that's a problem. I think when Jesus said, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? He was talking about you. Now, maybe it's not the job. Maybe it's, I don't know, it's kids' sports, it's Netflix, it's it's all kinds of other things. You ought to look at your schedule and say, if I'm too busy to serve others, something has to change. So, those of you that are serving, God bless you. You're doing the right thing. It matters. Those of you that are not serving, maybe this is that season of life and you need to say, you know, it's going to be another six months before I can do that. I'm sick. I haven't been able to do this. I get it. I get it. But many of you, I think you've got to take a long, hard look and say, 
what am I doing with my life? (laughs) I have been served by God who started here and went here to serve me. How am I going to use the gifts and abilities, the time and talent that God has given me to love and serve others? Let me pray. Lord God, thank you for your love for us, for your service for us. For, uh, Lord Jesus, thank you for setting aside the glories and honors and privileges of heaven and coming down as a slave and serving us. May we uh, have eyes to see the opportunities that are before us to use the gifts and abilities that you have given us uh, to be part of your plan. May your kingdom come. May we be part of it. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.